Welcome to the Family Life Church Podcast. We hope you're blessed and encouraged to share this with someone you know. Subscribe or visit thefamilylife.org for more information. The book of Ezekiel, the eighth chapter. I'm looking forward to seeing you here Wednesday night. Kids club taking place on Wednesday night and uh, bring your children, be faithful to church each week. This is a time for faithfulness. This is the time to make sure that we are consecrating our life to God. Now, if you will walk with me for a while in the word, I wanna point out a few things and show some things to you possibly that uh, God will speak to you if you will open your ears to hear. The word said, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. It is a spiritual choice to hear. It is something that we have to determine that we're going to do. It's not something that just magically happens. It's not just the chill bump running up and down our spine, but it is the purpose of the spirit that he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. There are spiritual things that are being articulated right now in our world, spiritual things that are being said in the church. Not every voice should be followed. Everyone hear this. Not every voice should be followed because not every voice is of the Father. The word said uh, that the sheep would know his voice. There should be a resonance. There should be something that uh, we're sensing, we're knowing when it is of God and when it is not of God. Everyone hear me right now, please. God is not the author of confusion. God is not the author of fear. He doesn't work through means of fear. Amen. How do I know that? Because God has not given us the spirit of fear. Simply stated. God will not contradict his word. So can I tell you today, if there's voices that's causing you to fear, to be apprehensive, to be, uh, to be intimidated, if you would, uh, then can I tell you that you need to take a step back and, and try the spirits to see if they be of God. Yes. And the way that you try the spirits is, first of all, you have the Holy Ghost within you. When you have the Holy Ghost within you, it should, it should allow that, that spirit of God to resonate what is of him and what is not. Right. The second thing that you do is you line it up to the word of God. If it does not line up to the word of God, it will, God will never contradict his word. It is always established forever. His word is established in heaven. And so there, there are many voices. And I said it last week and none of them is without significance. The word said, we just have to be spiritually sensitive to know what is of God and what is not of God. So can I tell you, follow the spirit, follow the voice of God, follow the leading of the Holy ghost, follow the word of God. He will never lead you astray. Amen. And he brought me into the inner court of the Lord's house and behold at the door of the temple of the Lord between the porch and the altar were about five and 20 men with their backs toward the temple of the Lord and their faces toward the east and they worship the sun toward the east. Now let me talk to you for the next few moments and walk with me in the word, the way that I face, the way that I face. Now pray with me. Father, I pray that your word would come forth and I know that it will not return void, God, for that's the promise we have in it. And so I pray for everyone listening and hearing today that we all would determine to do so and that we would respond to this preached word, this word that will save our soul. And I pray, God, that captives would be set free people would be healed, lives and souls would be saved this day, God. I thank you for your name that we have sung about. I thank you, Lord, for your name that we can worship and praise. And I pray, God, 
that your name would save souls this day. And I thank you, God, that you have redeemed us out of the hand of the enemy. Help someone today hear this to know that fear has to flee. And there must be the choosing of you, God. I trust in you. Anoint me and anoint this people. And I thank you, God. Would you praise him one more time before you're seated? God, I love you. And I magnify you. And I praise your high and holiness. Uh, You're wonderful, God. You're great. You're good. You're kind. You're just. I love you in Jesus' name. Now, I want you to say hello to somebody. You don't have to walk across the aisle. You can just turn and wave at them and just acknowledge that you see them and, and let them know that you are glad to be seen by them. Amen. And then you may be seated in Jesus' name. It was the psalmist David who said this in the 16th Psalm and the 8th verse, if you would please. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. His purpose was specific. It was specific and pointed. He set the Lord before him. And because of that, he said that he would never be moved. It was a, direct, it was a direction determined and a destination decided upon. A way of life to be lived, a, a reward for the reason of it. The Lord, the Lord set before him, would order all else about him. From the words of his mouth to the meditation of his heart, the conduct of his character, the man that he would and would not be. It all was determined. It all was determined by the Lord that he set before him. It was not to say that David did not have his failures along the way, for we know in fact that he did. But with each distraction and diversion from that determined direction that he had set before him, there would always be There would always be a course correction when recognized, a place and a way to turn to. He prayed the prayer for it after he fell to sin with Bathsheba, after Nathan, the prophet, pointed to him, telling him, thou art the man. He prayed this prayer. Create in me a clean heart, if you would please. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. Create, renew, cast me not, take not, restore to me, uphold me. Those were the words of a repented flesh and soul. And those are the words of someone who turns back to the one that was set before him that will save him. Thou art the man is a phrase that at many moments of all of our lives we can relate to. Hear me for a moment right now. It should be a phrase that we all identify with and can be said to us. There's a difference in it just being said to us and us receiving it. I I, want to stand in this pulpit while I don't have it in my notes today. Uh, and I don't plan on preaching much about it right now, I will say this. God, help me to be an individual that can be preached to. God, help me to be someone, a soul, uh, that, that can be molded by, by the word of God. 
that can be looked to from across the desk while sitting in the pew, uh, kneeling at an altar, wherever it might be, here at home. And I can be said to, thou art the man, and recognize and admit that I have done wrong. Amen. Hear me, Christian. Hear me, Pentecostal. Again, I'm not preaching about this, but I feel led in the Holy Ghost just to say this for a moment. Let it be that we are easily convicted by the Spirit this day. That someone can look at us and somebody can say to us and something can be preached to us and something can be told to us and remind us, you need to change. Uh, You need to correct the course. You need to come back to the place of repentance. The words you're saying are not right. The actions that you're living should not be lived. Uh, This is the way wherein you should walk. Walk ye there in it. God help us to be a people that can be preached to. God help us to be a people that can be taught by the word of God. To recognize there are places and ways in our life that need to change. That when we feel the conviction of the Holy Ghost, we admit that we are in fact the man. We are the one that needs to hear the word. We are the one that needs to repent. Amen. Amen. Thou art the man, he said. It's a phrase that we can relate to. Just on the other side of a mountain, when a descent down to a valley comes. Just when we think that we have it all together and we find ourselves falling and failing yet again. The sin that we think that we've conquered comes at us again. It's cyclic. We seem, to, we seem to have it all together only to have to put it back together once again. That's who we are. Thou art the man. We are. We are that person. We hear those words, thou art the man. Like a Paul, we, we put it on re- repeat. Oh, oh, wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me? I will tell you who shall deliver us. His name is Jesus. Yes. He is our hope. For usually... Our own worst enemy is the one that is staring at us in the mirror. We lose more battles to ourselves than most anyone or anything else. That is who we battle the most with. We call out Satan often and no doubt there is the evil influence uh, at work in this world. But most often our greatest enemy is you and I. It is ourselves. It's there and then that like a David our life is determined. Not by what we have done. But to where we turn. The one who can save us. The prophet Ezekiel was given a vision. He was allowed, (coughs) excuse me, a look into what God wanted to be seen and and understood to to be revealed. And while this vision of Ezekiel, when you read it, contained, uh, contained many unique and important things, there was one piece, a captured moment in, in this vision that described an often deceptive nature uh, of, of the flesh and spirit within humanity. He was brought into the inner court of the Lord's house. This place between, I need you to look at this, walk with me. This place between the porch and the altar. Um, This was spiritual territory that Ezekiel was allowed to be seen. um, This vision that was given. This was spiritual territory between the porch and the altar. It was a place of commitment and consecration. It was a place, hear me, watch me now, here. It it was a place between, uh, that was associated with the things of God. It was a, a place between commitment and consecration. It was a thoroughfare to the sacrifice. And there in that place were about 25 uh, men. And, and what made these men unique was the physical and the spiritual stance that they took in that holy place. They had postured themselves standing with their back 
in, in this place between the porch and the altar, they had postured themselves with their back to the temple of the Lord and they were now facing east. And I'm not going to go into great detail, but there was always significance about going from the east to the west within the word, this transition that would take place. There was always that entering into the east and the exiting on the west. Uh, but now in, in this particular place between the porch and the altar, these 25 men or so turned their back to the west. They turned their back to the temple and now they were facing east. Not only were they facing the east, but they were as well worshiping the sun that was rising in the east. It was obvious that God wanted Ezekiel to recognize what this stance taken stood for, referring back to the book of Deuteronomy, what they were not uh, to worship, and that would be the sun. But even more than that, he wanted, he wanted him to let it be known uh, the way that they were facing, uh, to what they were looking towards, and importantly so, where and how it was being done in this vision. They were in the temple. They were in the temple right between, right between the porch and the altar. Uh, I wish I could show you this somehow. Uh, right between that entering in, that common area, that place of transition, uh, this, this consecrated ground, the place where all the activity in life was to be lived out in the service to God. This is where they were. They were in the church. Uh, that place that identified them as one of his, it was not just any ground. This was consecrated ground. This was committed ground to God. Uh, there it was that they turned their back to the temple, meaning that they put their back to the source and instead they faced the sun. Instead of worshiping the source, they worshiped the sun. They served the gift instead of the giver. And they did it all. They did it all under the covering of the temple within reach of the reason for everything around them. There is the constant, hear me soul, there is the constant spiritual gravitational pull that we all battle against in our life this day. Every one of us, man in the pulpit, everybody in the pew, we all feel it, we all sense it, we all recognize it. The swore of flesh and spirit trying to, trying to live in the best of both worlds. Somebody hear me right now. Trying to maintain citizenship in each without losing the benefit of both. Trying to live in the church, yet trying to live in the world. Trying to have benefit of both. Trying to somehow uh, straddle the fence. But ultimately, as it always is, we cannot serve two masters. For the word said it best, we will hate the one and we will love the other. There will, there will be a way that we choose to face, the one that we will look to, the, the thing that we will ultimately worship. The problem often is that we, like those in Ezekiel, we become comfortable. Hear me right now, please. We become comfortable standing in and around all that is spiritual and think that that is enough. Camouflaged, blending in, but not committed. Dwelling around, associated with, rubbing shoulders with on a continual basis. And that association is enough to warrant acceptance into the inner court. Proximity, association, title, past, pedigree, close enough to get by, but still have the thing or things in our life that we trust in more than the one that we should be serving. We serve the gifts given to us too often more than the giver of the gifts. Can I repeat that? In a world of wealth, in a world of uh, accumulation, in a world of things that are constantly vying for our attention, uh, trying to get our affection, we often serve the gift more 
than the giver. We, we serve the son instead of serving the one who made the son. The son was made to serve us. Do you know that? The son was made to serve us. It was, ma- it was made to serve all nations. Uh, the son rises on the just and the unjust alike. It was, it was made to serve humanity. Humanity was not made to serve the son. And this was in direct opposition to the sovereignty of God that was right behind their back. Do you see this? They were, they were standing. They turned their back on the temple. They turned their back on the source of the sun and instead begin to worship the sun. It is a dangerous place to get to where we serve the things that God has given us more than we serve the God that has given them to us. It's dangerous to live near spiritual things all the time and to just take them for, for granted. Uh, to, to constantly be surrounded by the blessing. To constantly come in and hear what we, come on, to, to hear what we've heard today. To feel what we felt today. To sing what we have sung today. It's a dangerous thing just to come in and to, and to pick it apart and to take it for granted. Are, are you with me right now? It's a dangerous thing to say, well, I like this and I don't like that. I agree with this and I, I don't agree with that. I'm telling you what we ought to do. Amen. My mom and dad always taught me and that's why I'm probably overweight today. Whatever's put before you, that's what you're going to eat. Amen. Uh, You pull up to the table. Too often in our culture of Christianity, we are picky about the spiritual things that are presented to us. I don't know about you, but I am hungry for the things of God. And I don't want to take them for granted. It should be that we're coming out of this season recognizing that we have been blessed by God. And I don't want to take any of it for granted. If you would, please. Uh, Next slide. Uh, Tolerated complacency can be the slow death of a spiritual life. Um, when, I, when I tolerate complacency in my life, when you tolerate complacency in your life, it is the slow death to a, a, of a spiritual life. It's, it's the slow turn away from God instead of to God. It doesn't happen overnight. It, it doesn't happen in just one instance, but it is the casual disregard. It acclimates to the surroundings and it becomes unaware and unconcerned. It ignores the wooing and the warnings. Jesus told us that it would be the judgment of this generation. Look at this scripture if you would. But whereunto shall I liken this generation? generation. Uh, It is likened to children sitting in the markets and calling it to their fellows and saying, we have piped unto you and you have not danced. We have mourned unto you and you have not lamented. The music should have caught their attention. It should have made them turn. It should have made them dance. There should be some response. There should be some pull. If their backs were to the temple, there should be that proximity with spiritual things that caused them to turn from the east and go to the west. There should have been that pull in the spirit that convicted them to the place that they recognized that they could not remain in the posture that they were in and be saved. Uh, The music should have caught their attention. It should have made them dance. It should have made them respond. The word was saying that Christ said, indifference can make us live a life that is sinful. I'm going to repeat that again because I hope if, if you don't hear much of anything else, I hope you, I hope you hear that indifference can make us live a life that is sinful and wrong while still trying to remain between the porch and the altar and feel no conviction about it. Do you understand that? Do I need to explain that? If I, if I'm indifferent, if I'm indifferent about sin, if I'm indifferent about that, which is that, which opposes God, it will cause me to remain between the porch and the altar in a place that is comfortable around spiritual things, but yet retain a sinful life. 
It cannot be that we think we, because we have a proximity because of the pew in the church that that is all that is necessary for salvation. I would love it if everybody that just walked in the door would be saved and make it to heaven. But, but, it's, but it's not just about proximity and it's not just about association. There must be the turning to God. There must be the turning from my sins. Uh, the, the prophet said, turn me and I shall be turned. Amen. Indifference can make us live a life that's sinful and tolerate it. Indifference can make us look at a world and think that it's okay. Because there is the attempt right now in our culture for there to be the blending and the bleeding of the lines. For there, that, for there to be the acceptance of, of sin and think that that's just the way it is. And after all, God is a God of love. In fact, he is a God of love. That's why he went to Calvary, suffered, bled, died, rose again so that we might not have to live in our sins. That's how much he loves us. He does not love us so that we can remain in our sins. He loved us enough that he died for us so that we could be saved from our sins. Everybody hear that? Because that's the gospel. He loved us so much, uh, not, not for us just to remain as we are, but he loves us so much that he said, I'm gonna go take your place on a cross at Calvary so that you don't have to die in your sins and be lost forever. That's how much he loves us so that we don't live the life that we lived before. Hear me, some Pentecostal that's been saved from some habit or haunt in your life, he loved you so much and somewhere along the way you laid it all down. You walked away from that habit and that haunt that was in your life. Come on with me, right? He still does that. He'll still deliver you from addictions. He'll still save you from a life of sin. He'll take that desire away from you. It, it may creep up every now and then, but can I tell you, God wants to save you from it. He doesn't want you to remain in it. Amen. There should be a godly fear and reverence, an expectation of the rapture, a grasp of the shortness of life that makes us turn to him, even when the pull of this world tries to save us, or sway us rather, even when, when, when we feel that tug of, of sin, that tug of carnality, that, 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 that desire to accept it. Because can I tell you, it is the slow turn yes. that destroys us spiritually. Yes. What we face the most, what we put in front of ourselves, what we entertain and what often entertains us is what we will ultimately worship. Because we can worship other things while still coming into this house and having somewhat of a worship to God. Do we know that? We can worship other things in this world and in our life, those uh, entertainments and distractions that we fall down uh, before our own stubbornness. And that what the word said? Pride, stubbornness, same as idolatry. We fall down and worship ourselves. Well, I'm gonna live this way. You, you preach what you wanna preach, pastor. You say what you wanna say, but I, I really don't see where there's any wrong in it. You, you preach the word, but I'm still going to do what I want to do. Ultimately, what that means is, is that we are turning our back to God and we are saying, I'm going to do what I feel is right. And I'm, that's the way I'm going to worship. I'm going to worship the thing that I justify. I'm going to wor worship the thing that I put in front of me the most. Hear me. What we put in front of our lives the most is what we ultimately worship. It's inevitable. Uh, what we put in front of ourselves on a, that's why you got to be careful what you watch. That's why you got to be careful what you read. That's why you got to be careful what you're constantly associating with because ultimately the thing that we put in front of us the most is the thing that we ultimately worship. We will have the affection that it cannot be broken. No matter how much the word is preached to us, we become in love with the things of the world and the things that are in front of us. God help us to put God in front of us every day. Amen. David set God ever before him. Paul said this one thing. Everybody say one thing. This one thing I do, and he pressed towards it. 
God, help us to be singular in the church. Help us to be singular in the church. Help us to love God more than we love this world. Help us to love God more than we love the pleasure of sin for a season. Help us to love God more than we love the pleasure of sin for a season. Help us to love God more than we love the pleasure of sin for a season. Help us to become singular about our allegiance, singular about our affection, singular in this world that has so many things that distract us. Help us to be singular about God. Come on, you need to fall in love with God again. I am pleading with somebody today. You need to fall in love with God and the things of God again. Whatever's God in your mind and whatever's God in your heart, come on, get it out and, and turn from it. Turn back to God. What we face the most, what we put in front of ourselves will be the thing that we entertain and we worship. Many get lost not because of the one thing, but the many things that turn them from Jesus. That is the truth. I have often seen it to be the case. People will uh, have one particular fall in their life, but, but, but the truth of the matter is it's usually not the one particular fall. It's, it's the many small things that turn us little by little. The turn is made and suddenly we find that we have turned our back on the Savior while standing near spiritual things. There is a call and a quickening in this place today, a place of repentance like the one that David found. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a right spirit within me. Those were, those were repentant words. Do you understand that? This, this was King David that just sinned with Bathsheba in Psalms 51, and Nathan looked at him, told him the parable of the sheep that was taken from the poor man by the rich man and consumed, and, and David cast the judgment that that man and his house would be destroyed and they would have to pay it back, and Nathan said, thou art the man. And when David recognized that he was the man, he admitted it. But Joe, God help us to be men that can admit when we need to change. God help us to, Brother David, God help us to be men and women and young people that, that when we know we're wrong, we admit it and we change from it. God help us to be people. Brother Jordan, help us to be people that will hear the preached word of God and the conviction of God grip us in our hearts and we recognize I have sinned. No matter what my pastor, my pedigree is in Pentecost, God help me to get to that place where I recognize I have sinned. God forgive me. God save me. God change me. Create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not from thy presence. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Paul said in Romans 2.4, musicians, it is the goodness of God. Everybody say goodness. It's the goodness of God. It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. The goodness of God, hear me somebody, is what is drawing you today. What you feel right now, what you feel while I'm preaching this. What you felt this last week in your home, at work, driving down the road. It is the goodness of God that is allowing you to feel that. What, what, you, what you experienced on your way to church today, it is the goodness of God that's allowing you to recognize it. Uh, that, that word specifically spoken that you knew when it was said or whatever was sung, that it was for you. That's the goodness of God. When you started to stray and when you started to get away and when you got contrary and, and when you thought you were going to leave the church and you thought it wasn't, that was the goodness of God that pulled you back. He trieth my reins. 
Anybody hear that word right now? When I get out of line, when I get ahead of myself, or when I think I'm bigger than I really am. Amen. He tries my reins. He, that's the goodness of God that does that, that reminds you of the heritage that you came from, reminds you of eternity that's in front of you. It allows you to feel the crushing weight of it that's coming down, not just the temporal satisfaction of sin, but the crushing weight of eternity. That's the goodness of God. It's the goodness of God that reminds you before you take that step across that threshold, not just on this side of temptation, but on the other side of that temptation. When you enter into it, it's the goodness of God that leads you back to where you need to be. It's the goodness of God that leads us repentance. Somebody say goodness. It's the goodness of God. It's the goodness of God. It's the goodness of God that does it. Amen. It's the feeling that you're sensing in your life right now, the desire for peace, that, that call and that that, that want for peace, that want for assurance, that, that, that assurance that you're not going to miss the rapture, that assurance. Come on. You, if you're worried about the rapture today, you should be worried about what's before the rapture. I, I, I love the rapture and I'm thinking about the rapture, but I want, I don't want to live just to be rapture ready. I want to live to be death ready. Because if I don't live to the rapture, I want to make sure that when I draw my last breath, I make it to heaven. Everybody hearing that? Amen. That's the goodness of God. It's the feeling that you're sensing in your life, that desire for peace, that longing for something that's real and that will remain because the world's trying to live on temporal satisfactions that fleet away, that pass away. Amen. They're wanting something that satisfies. That's the goodness of God. That is the goodness of God that makes you feel that. Well, God wanted it to be known. Everybody hear this because I don't believe God just left this particular vision to be uh, something that uh, could not be salvaged, if you would. Uh, God, while God wanted to be known, the stance taken by the men in that place between the porch and the altar, he as well wanted it to be known the proximity of reach that they were in to correct the course. I, I really believe because of the nature of God, I think you have to look to the nature of God here in this. Just as much as they had turned away, turned their back on the temple, they were facing the west, or excuse me, facing the east and not the west. I believe God wanted, wanted to be known that their backs were to the temple and they were still there between the porch and the altar. In other words, they were not far from the presence of God. They were not out of reach. All they had to do was just turn around. I, I, I really believe God wanted that to be known. I, wanted, I believe God wanted Ezekiel to, to show they've turned their back on me, but I believe the mercy of God wanted to be known, but all they have to do is turn around. I'm, I'm right there. Uh, I'm within reach. I'm not far from them because that's the goodness of God. That's how much he loves us. You are not out of reach this day. You are, I don't care what you've done. Somebody hear me. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you've said. I don't care how bad you think it has been. I am telling you, you are not out of reach from God. You may feel like that you're a failure. You've messed up. You've blown it. Everything's crashed. It's burning. No, I'm telling you, you are not too far gone. If you're in this house today, you are not too, somebody over my right, you are not too far gone. You are within reach of the thing that will save you. His name is Jesus. You're not without hope. God's goodness is reaching for you today in this place. All you have to do is turn to him and be saved. All you have to do is to know that he's that close, that he, that he loves you that much. So I'm asking somebody today, I preached all that to say this. Would you turn back to him? Would you come back to him today? Would you turn to face the one that will save you? Will you correct the course? It's not too late. You can look to Jesus Christ. You can look to the saviors of your soul. He's the one that will answer. Come on, pray with me right now. 
as we stand to our feet. If you want to kneel, if you want to sit, amen, if you want to walk to this altar, you can, amen, just stay distant. But, but right now in this house, can you just, can you just tell the Lord, God, you're the one that I look to today. Come on. Somebody needs to turn to him. Somebody needs, as they begin to sing, somebody needs to turn and face the one. You're not that far gone. It's not that far away from you. Uh, you may have fallen. You may have stumbled. You may have made a mistake, but, but it's this goodness that leads you to repentance. It's the goodness of God that draws you back. It's his mercy that you can, in this, in this spiritual uh, concourse of between the porch and the altar, this thoroughfare of all that is spiritual, you can find your way back to God. He's the hope for your home. He's the hope for your life. He's the hope for your children. He's the hope for everything around you. Come on, when the world feels like it's falling apart, you can run to the altar. And there at the altar, you can find salvation.